Money FM 89.3. Best of your money. Money and me on your money. Only on Money FM 89.3. It's a big headline this morning, isn't it? Moderna, the American biotechnology company asking authorities here in Singapore to approve the use of its COVID-19 vaccines. And if all goes well, that first batch could be here in Singapore as early as this month. Moderna hasn't given details on the number of doses that Singapore can receive, uh, citing confidentiality courses, but it said it would be ready to ship its vaccines here right away once approval is given. So, as we see a a lot of the vaccine race heating up and a lot of the front runners, even as that's happening, keep in mind that IATA, the uh, Travel Association, estimates that it would take two years to supply 14 billion doses to everyone because you have to think about distribution as well. So are there plays for the distribution pipeline that an investor should be looking at. Will delivering a vaccine help the aviation sector? Then we'll turn to the topic of China. Some analysts believe that investors should be allocating more of their portfolio into Chinese stock. Is it a bright spot right now, China? We'll look at that as well as companies to focus on other plays as the global economy recovers. We put all these questions to Tong Ho Sung. He's Director and Health of Wealth Management for the Aura Group, good morning. How are you, Mr. Tong? Fine, thank you, and thank you for having me. Great to speak with you again. Let's start with uh, great news about the vaccine, but also what that means for the aviation sector. So, as I mentioned in the intro, IATA estimating, given the load of a Boeing 747 freighter, to reach every man, woman, child on Earth, it's going to take two years to supply some of the 14 billion doses expected to be distributed. But airlines are going to be the workhorses of this distribution pipeline. So, do you see uh, good vaccine news being a boon to the airlines? Well, I would say in general, it is. Yeah, I mean, positive news on the uh, vaccine front uh, will definitely help uh, the travel travel as well as the airline industry. Uh, that's for sure. Yeah. Uh, in, in fact, I mean, if you just look at uh, what happened when the positive news first came out in mid-November, uh, travel and travel-related stocks basically had a nice pop of approximately between 20 and 30 percent. Yeah, I mean, this, this, this positive news should help ease some travel movements uh, as well as uh, travel restrictions mm. and hopefully creates more travel bubbles between countries that have, uh, I would say, demonstrated their ability to control the spread of the virus. Yeah, uh, however, I mean, I would uh, caution being too optimistic as infection rates in, in Europe, uh, in the U.S. and some Asian countries have actually increased. As, uh, as as we all know mm-hmm. uh, from the most recent example is the travel bubble between Singapore and Hong Kong right. uh, being postponed until next year when it was planned to start on uh, November, sometime in November 22nd, if I'm not mistaken. So, yes, uh, it will definitely be a boon to the, to the airline industry. And as you rightly put it, uh, or at least indicated from the IATA report, it will probably take about two years. Yeah, uh, e- even using a Bill, uh, Boeing 747 freighter. Now, what, what has happened also is that, as, as you've also mentioned, that a lot of these airlines have become workhorses. Uh, they've also reconfigured some of their fleet uh, 
from passenger train uh, carrying planes into mm. ca- cargo carrying roles. Yeah, and, mm. and 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 I guess when governments decide to open up their borders for more passenger, then what would happen is they would need to reconfigure their their their, their seating plans again. Now, once that is being done, I think. Airlines will probably find it difficult to fulfill every to fill every seat because of ongoing social distancing. Right. So that they probably would have to leave the middle seat empty, uh, so that people would have the necessary distance in between. Yeah. Mm. Uh, now, however, I would say that uh, as far as airlines benefiting, I would imagine that that would probably benefit countries that are much larger where you have more opportunities for domestic tourism. Yeah, just like, for example, during China's Golden Week holidays in October, mm. they had approximately 70% of the usual uh, domestic tourism. And that in itself, you're talking about hundreds of millions of people. And just recently, the traditional Thanksgiving holiday in the U.S., mm-hmm. millions also travel domestically to see family and friends. Yeah, despite the increasing infection rates in the U.S. So uh, I would say, yes, it will definitely benefit the airlines, but uh, it would, I would say, be a little bit more selective and, 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 and a little bit cautious. Makes as, a lot of sense, especially yeah, because uh, the future of airlines, as you say, is so uncertain with all this reconfiguring that needs to happen. Yep, that's very true. And I think the runway uh, for, for full recovery in the economy as well as uh, air travel hmm. is, Still quite a distance away. All right. So are you bullish at all on logistics plays, which are such a big part of the vaccine distribution pipeline? Yes, I am. I mean, I'm I'm bullish on the logistics play, not only because of uh, storage for the vaccine. As as you know, some of the vaccines, I think, if I'm not mistaken, Pfizer's and Moderna's vaccines, they require special refrigeration. Yeah. It has to be kept at a very uh, low temperature for it to survive. Mm. Otherwise, uh, it becomes uh, inert and, 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 and useless. So for, I guess, logistics, yes, because of that. And uh, But it means that very few logistics companies would benefit as they would have such capabilities. Right. Yeah. But in, in, in general, I like the uh, logistics sector simply because uh, of I guess, continued increase in uh, e-commerce. Right. As, 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 as you can, as you know, there, there are datas, uh, data from the U.S., uh, you know, during the traditional Black Friday shopping, mm-hmm. uh, sales in traditional stores basically plunged by over 50%, but online sales surged about 22%. So, yes, uh, I like the logistics sector very much. All right. So the broader theme of distribution, you do like, but there's so much involved with the, the COVID distribution pipeline, right? There is, uh, in, in terms of trying to decide where the money is made, is it airlines? Is it, um, first of all, the, the, the drug companies, the drug distribution companies that it has to go through? So, And then the infrastructure. And as you say, there are some vaccines that need freezer trucks. So th- there's a lot involved there to be thinking about plays, stock plays, right, for yes. vaccine distribution. That's right. That's right. Distribution is going to be critical for the vaccine. And I guess for the less developed uh, nations, it's going to be even tougher getting the uh, vaccines to them. 
Gosh, yeah. All right, let's turn our focus now to China. I was reading a report that cited uh, investor Paul Colwell, who said investors need to be looking at allocating more of their portfolios, not just 5%, maybe 20% of their portfolios into China uh, in terms of geopolitical diversification because he believes it's just going to be a more crucial consideration in the years ahead. What do you think? I believe that regardless of whether you know, we're talking about uh, pre-COVID or post-COVID uh, recovery, I think most fund managers would already have some allocation into China. Yeah, perhaps uh, post-COVID, the allocations in China probably would have would increase as the Chinese economy, as as, as you know, continues to improve and and is looking very likely to be the only major country to actually register full uh, positive full GDP growth of about. And this despite the trade war with the U.S. and, 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 the, and the domestic lockdown and movement restrictions imposed by the government at the beginning of the year. Mm. So, I mean, the Chinese industrial sector is also showing uh, return to levels before the pandemic and lockdown. And this is uh, as evidenced by data given by, by the manufacturing uh, PMI numbers by the National Bureau of Statistics. Of statistics, I mean, it shows that it rose to, to about 52.1 in November compared to 51.4 in, in October. And this in itself actually reflects the highest uh, number since October 2017. So e- 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 even the Chinese service sector have uh, expanded for nine straight months as domestic consumption uh, increased and consumer confidence uh, improves. So, I mean, just just this morning itself, Mm. uh, a much broader measure of uh, China's economic improvement. uh, And and when I say it's a broader measure, because you tend to look at the country's uh, manufacturing activities of larger as well as state-owned companies, the uh, official Kaixian manufacturing PMI rose to 54.9 in November Mm. compared to 53.6 in October. And this in itself is actually the highest since uh, November 2010. Any number above 50 always uh, indicates an expansion of the economy. That's, that's great insight. What do you think of the thesis, though? Uh, Paul Colwell saying that the traditional allocation of 5% that you see maybe pension funds or endowments or global investors have in China should be up to 20% because, he says, um, that would be proper positioning for a post-COVID world in the new world order now that's controversial. What do you think? Mm. Okay. Uh, for me, I, I believe that there is actually no right or magical number for allocation into any specific region or country. Uh, because I think it really all comes down to uh, one's investment strategy, uh, time frame, as well as uh, appetite for risk. Now, uh, fund managers who are managing portfolios that basically tracks a specific index, for example, the MSCI World Index, would most likely allocate their exposures uh, to certain countries or regions accordingly Mm. uh, because they're basically tracking a specific index. However, for those who don't track any particular index and purely just looking for alpha, may not allocate uh, their their, their positions proportionally, but have more concentrated uh, exposure and positions. So it's, it's tough to say what the right numbers 
are, uh, it, it really comes down to your investment strategy. Uh, but whatever it is, you know, China, uh, there will, there, 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 there should be an allocation to China, uh, and 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 that's something that that one I would say, I have to decide how much of it going into China, depending on 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 their own. Uh, risk appetite time frame and strategy. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. I guess what I found interesting was this idea of a new world order. And, you know, Colwell obviously believing that the world is moving away from globalization. And we heard so much about decoupling of the US and China. Um, and it's clear that he thinks there is a very strong case for allocation into China. If we look at the China A share market, what is that relatively correlated to? Is that lowly correlated with developed markets? I okay. The the, the suggestion of decoupling I think is 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 still very much in the in the air. Right? I mean if you look at yes, uh countries have tended to be a little bit more nationalistic today, but if you really look at it from a high level, it seems like the common enemy is China. Uh you have the tensions between China and, and the US yep. uh on the trade side. Uh that has spilled over to Europe and China, and that's on uh, technology, you know, trying to prevent Huawei from, from, from uh, providing 5G into the, into the continent. And then you look at Australia, uh, who has sided with, with the West uh, and, and, and is to some extent paying the price for that. So as far as decoupling is concerned, I think it is still very much in the air. I mean, yes, could it be just politics or is this really purely economics? Because despite that, mm. uh, as, you, as, 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 as you're aware, the recent RCEP agreement was actually uh, signed by all ASEAN nations together with Australia, Correct. New Zealand, Japan, South Korea, and India. Yeah. Uh, though India decided that they, they would not, they would defer joining in uh, in, into this group. So despite ongoing uh, trade tensions between like Australia, New Zealand, and, and China, they're actually a, a part of this group, which basically is a, is a grouping of countries coming together, agreeing on reducing tariffs, as well as, you know, uh, having standardized uh, dispute resolution processes as, as well as uh, state of origin uh, you know processes so one could say that yes there is the cup there there is that national nationalistic fervor but at the same time I think governments understand that you know at the end of the day economics uh, would still probably come to the fore he's Tong Ho Sung director and health uh, direct and head of wealth management for aura group <laughs> We wish him good health always. Uh, Tong Ho, just yesterday I was talking to an investor who told me that this year he put a million dollars into the stock market and it's working out very well for him, you know, his picks. Mm -hmm. So right now everybody wants to know where is the money to be made, especially as we see um, economies coming back to life. So people want to know what are are long-term recovery plays, where, where are the possibilities as you see it? Yep. Uh, okay, that's a good question. Now, since the positive vaccine news, I think a lot of uh, investors have uh, become a lot more bullish on the markets, as evidenced by people 
jumping into uh, what they call laggards or the value, or at least the, the, the value sector companies. Uh, and, and, and that's where you see the travel-related sectors like uh, hospitality, mm. uh, financials, uh, again, as I said, logistics, uh, and, and then, of course, renewables, because uh, a lot of these developed nations have come out to say that uh, they intend or the plan is to be uh, carbon emission neutral by mid-century, uh, and then healthcare. Uh, and, and, and I guess as, as far I mean, as we, we, we've spoken about logistics and warehousing, uh, as, as well as the travel-related uh, e-commerce as well. Uh, but however, I mean, if you look at the healthcare, uh, it, it continues to be favored. And, and just as a little bit of an aside, uh, JD Health International, mm-hmm. uh, it, it, it raised about 27 billion Hong Kong dollars uh, for, its age, for, for, for its IPO. And this is uh, pricing it at the top end of its, of its range. Uh, this, this IPO alone uh, surpasses the uh, previous $2.3 billion share sale by, by a Japanese healthcare company, and that happened about a decade ago. So if you look at healthcare, I would say that this is going to be a continued uh, sector to, to look at. So if I had to position my, my funds uh, as to where it will be, I would say go into the value sectors, the laggards, Mm-hmm. Uh, where, where, where you were looking at uh, travel-related, logistics, warehousing, e-commerce. I still like e-commerce, uh, healthcare, uh, as well as the renewable space. That's interesting. So just to, to draw a distinction out, you mentioned JD Health. And that's a play not just on healthcare, but on healthcare that's online, right? That's China's online healthcare platform that's right. industry. J- JD Health is actually the largest online healthcare platform in China, mm. as well as online pharmacies uh, by revenue, according to uh, their prospectus. I think the company recorded revenues of about 8.8 billion yen mm. in the first half of this year alone, mm-hmm. uh, up from about 5 billion yen in the same period about a year ago. Very interesting. Are there any sectors that you're, you're telling your clients to steer away from or you put, you know, you're, you're steering away from? Actually, there isn't any. I mean, today in today's market, I mean, everyone's chasing you. Even the REIT market has come back somewhat. So hmm. I would say that you know, most most people at the end of the day, if you look at the market in general, uh, yes, uh, it's a rotational play. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Some have taken money off the table for technology because it had a nice, nice little run up. Uh, but I would say that uh, at the end of the day being invested in the market, it's not so much time in the market, but actually time in the market. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, uh, you know, that distinction between knowing, even in the airline sector, or if you say, you know, you're, you're interested in the hotel sector, the um, hospitality sector, it's knowing which stocks are tradable versus which stocks are investable in, in the long run. Being able to make that distinction, you know. I guess you can... Yeah, but uh, I would say that for an investor who's, 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 who's looking at, at, at making his money work harder, uh, being, being invested in the market longer would be a lot more advantageous than trying to be a day trader. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, news flow comes so quickly that anything can change. I mean, even on the vaccine news, I mean, take, for example, AstraZeneca's. They came out uh, and, and said that, you know, they, they have a, a, a 
close to 95% uh, efficacy in their vaccination. Uh, however, as, as people went to look de- deeper into their data, they said, ah, no, uh, that's not really true because the sample size is either too small or, or, or that, you know, it, Correct. and that people needed two dosages instead of just one. And what happened to that share basically dropped. Mm. Yeah. So it's tough when you want to, when you're trying to be a day trader as opposed to being an investor. And I think that, that that's a clear, uh, that's a very big distinction uh, between an investor, someone that's in the market for a long period of time. I think that's where one can actually ride out the, the, the nice peak up, up swings of the market versus someone who's trying to time the market. Well, that's important insight. We always love it when real investors uh, share how they think with us. Tong Ho, thank you for joining us this morning. Yes, thank you very much for having me again. He's Tong Ho Sung, Director in Health of Wealth Management for the Aura Group. They provide investment solutions for investors across credit, private equity, venture capital, and real estate strategies. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH Radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.